Last week, uh, my wife and I saw this film, You've Got Mail. And if you haven't seen it, it's, it's really a very cute love story, but there's a part in it where there's this eccentric uh, newspaper columnist. He doesn't like technology, so he carries around this portable Olympic typewriter wherever he goes. He refuses to use a computer, and his girlfriend's always giving him a hard time about it, but he, that's his statement against the technological age. I bring that up because it reminded me it wasn't so long ago when um, all we had at Menlo Press were typewriters. And my secretary used to revise the sermon I preached 17, 18 times a week, retyping the entire manuscript. It took hours. And I was thinking yesterday, I revised this manuscript seven times and it takes minutes. My point, we're going to talk about prayer today. And my belief is that the majority of us as Christians are still in the typewriter era of prayer. We are functioning with it as something we do in worship. We do it as a formality, but it's not really endemic to our life. And I want to present to you from Scripture an opportunity to understand prayer at a depth that will have an impact on your Christian life as dramatic as if you passed from using a typewriter to using a computer. Let me tell you what I mean. Would you bow with me in prayer? Lord, we hunger to have you do for us what the disciples asked you to do for them, and that was teach us to pray. The New Testament is full of exhortations to pray, and somehow we've missed it as a primary agenda of our lives. And this year, we'd like to rediscover it at a depth that will impact us and make us more effective disciples in this very needy world. To that end, open our eyes and our hearts in these next few moments, for Jesus' sake. Amen. Have you ever had moments when you felt a, a very earnest desire to experience more of the power of God in your life. You hear about it, but you want to experience it, perhaps power to love and trust God at such a depth that you feel more personal contentment, more in control, more joy, or power to conquer those chronic feelings of incompetence and inferiority and guilt or whatever demons might plague your life. Or simply power to become the person God called you to be. And you struggle and struggle, but you never can't make it. You always have the, this delta between what you are and what you want to become. And you yearn for that power to just become. As we begin a new year, I want to share a personal discovery that's been kind of months in the making as an answer for these yearnings that many of us feel, that I've felt for years as a pastor. And it's one word. The answer for our yearnings is prayer. Prayer is the means by which we tap into the power of God. That's one of the best definitions I know. Seeking to understand what triggered my discovery that might be of help to you, I can think this year of many things. Experiencing God's direct intervention in healing in some of the staff challenges of, or challenges our staff faced this year in their various diseases that struck them. You, you, most of you know what I'm talking about. And how God came, responded to our prayers, gave us a miracle. Or receiving grace to bear up under the pressures of ministry. I, I find that uh, this place has grown pretty complex to lead as a church. 
And yet, I receive a gift directly from God every Thursday morning at 6.30 in the library in our prayer meeting and in the prayer groups that meet in my office before worship. I can't describe it. I can just affirm it, that there's a power that sustains me to do ministry that I wouldn't have if we didn't pray. I can confidently say then that prayer is the engine, using a computer term, the engine that drives our church. Prayer sustains my personal ministry, and I want to tell you, prayer can be a power that will sustain you into a more contented, abundant, relevant life for Jesus Christ. I absolutely am convinced the blessings that our church is experiencing right now are the direct result of prayer. And I preach this morning in in the hope that you personally are going to discover and enjoy this gift at a depth this year you never have before in your Christian experience. It can literally change your life. Now, obviously, my discovery isn't new. Jesus modeled our need for prayer, but somehow most of us, including this pastor, were kind of blind to it. Have you ever thought that he had only three years to accomplish his mission of saving the world? And yet he made huge amounts of time for prayer. He spent long hours, even all night in prayer. We read in Mark, in the morning, long before dawn, he got up and left the house and went off to a lonely place and prayed there. Those kind of descriptions of Jesus' activity are throughout the New Testament. Jesus couldn't function without prayer. Isn't that phenomenal? And neither can you, and neither can I. Every morning on my walk, I offload unto God all the challenges that are ahead of me that day, and I can't tell you what a resource it is. Without this habit of casting my burdens on the Lord and leaving them there, I would literally sink. I would never have made it here in this church 26 years. I now understand why the Bible tells us to pray without ceasing. That used to be kind of a meaningless phrase to me in my youth. But prayer is sort of like breathing. It's like eating. We have to do it constantly. We can't make it at the level Jesus would have us make it in today's world without prayer. So as we start a new year, my challenge is for us to reconsider the role of prayer in our personal schedules and in the total life of this church. And I want us to look at our text that tells us why we should do that. First, we pray in order to find the knowledge of God's will. For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we've not stopped praying for you and asking God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Have we ever stopped to think of the value of possessing God's will regarding certain issues in your life, the kind we face every day, versus facing life's challenges, only using the solutions rooted in our own personal resources and wisdom. For example, think of the value of knowing, being confident of God's will regarding the never-ending needs of our children. Regarding those relational challenges and stresses we all face, or the decisions that we have to make tomorrow in business or in our personal lives, or the career choices, or the relational choices. Good friends of ours are getting married next week, and I was thinking regarding this couple. Isn't it great to know, to be confident in the knowledge of God's will, that this is God's will for our future, versus just kind of saying, well, I kind of like her, or I like him, and we we ought to do this. 
You can apply this to every area of our life. When you have a knowledge of God's will, it changes everything. I yearn for the Holy Spirit to create in us a gnawing hunger for earnestly seeking a knowledge of God's will before we do anything. Think how many times we shoot ourselves in the foot by rushing ahead with choices and behavior before seeking God's will. How many things we would change in the past if only we had waited for God's will first. And then once we know that will to rest in the confidence that God's going to respond to our prayers. You know, my awakening to the power of prayer is directly related, interestingly enough, to my growing awareness of my inadequacy to cope with the complexities of the ministry of this church and with the complexities of life. I marvel I survived so long without the depth of prayer that I'm now experiencing. But I need to tell you, you know, prayer is not weakness. It's not something you finally discover when you find that you're a total flop and failure without it. It's really, it's a resource of ultimate strength. It's been there all the time, but some of us, like myself, are so thick-headed, we just don't get it until we're forced into turning to it. I want to ask you a question. What do you consider to be the most important activity in this church? If you were to give me one answer, I wonder what we would say. Preaching? Teaching, worship, caring, mission outreach, social functions, small groups. Do you know what Jesus said is the most number one important agenda in the church? He said, my house shall be called a house of prayer for all nations. You know, I think somehow we've missed that as Presbyterians. Why would Jesus make such a statement? Because he knew everything connected with following him and living the Christian life was related to prayer. Growth in our relationship with God, our outreach to others, our love and unity as a church family, our ability to live the Christian life in a crooked world, or bottom line, our ability to tap into God's supernatural power to meet needs we can't meet in our own strength. All of that is dependent upon a disciplined prayer life. Again, I've concluded most of us don't really awaken to the potential of prayer until some event comes along that creates in us a desperate need for a knowledge of God's will, coupled with a keen awareness of the limits of our personal resources. I don't know why that's the case, but as I analyze my own life and the lives of most of us, prayer really doesn't come alive until we have nowhere else to turn. But I believe the greatest work anyone can do for another person, for ourselves, for our children, for our nation, for this church, is to pray for a knowledge of God's will. Last year, we studied Acts, if you recall, in the pulpit, and we found that the secret to the early church was a total dependence on prayer. Do we realize the church was born in a prayer meeting in that upper room and the day of Pentecost and the Holy Spirit fell on the church? The very first mission trip of the church was the result of a prayer meeting. When early Christians prayed, prison doors were opened. People were were healed of physical disease. They were given divine directives for ministry. They were given boldness to witness for Christ, even if it meant their lives. Prayer was the engine that drove the early church. Oswald Chambers rightly says that prayer is to the spiritual life what breath is to our lungs and what blood is to our hearts. Isn't that beautiful? 
I find that prayer is that quiet place in the middle of a busy life that helps us distinguish between success and significance, between the urgent and the non-negotiable. It's through prayer that we can unmask the many delusions of this world about worth and about meaning. Through prayer, we experience that friendship and intimacy with Jesus that Margie sang about today. I'm wondering, as you reacted to her solo, how many of you know Jesus in this way of a personal friend and a, and a partner and someone that you can just converse with. That's what Christianity is all about. Jesus is that personal and prayer is the medium that makes that possible. And if you don't talk to Jesus personally, it just means you don't yet understand the full potential of prayer. How would you like to be married to someone and never talk to them or have a friend and never talk to them? Jesus gave us this potential to be intimate with him. Now, Without seeking to sound dramatic, I believe with all my heart that Satan dreads prayer more than any other weapon of the church. There is no area of ministry that I worked harder to try to develop in this congregation than prayer. And nothing has gone more slowly, but it's gone well. And we do now have a broad base of prayer warriors, but it's just the beginning. But it's been work. There's been opposition all along. It's not something we do naturally, and yet it's the greatest power potential of our Christian life. Isn't that fascinating? You know, as a result of our neglect of prayer, many of us this morning are assuming burdens that God did not intend for us to carry alone. That's why we're so often drained by stress and fear. And instead of radiating the joy that we as Christians are called to radiate, we look like everybody else out there. We're just as burdened, just as frightened, just as drained. That's because we're neglecting our resource. Eugene Peterson talks about our Goliath perspective of reality. He says we get paralyzed by all of life's challenges because we're only armed with our human resources. And therefore, every obstacle appears overwhelming. A disciplined prayer life equips us to confront the problems that face all of us with the confidence that our God is going to intervene for us. We're armed like David was with the assurance that God has gone ahead of us to face this giant. That we serve a God for whom nothing is impossible. What a way to live. Secondly, our text calls us to be persistent in prayer. It says, devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. And pray for us, too, that, we may, that God may open a door for our message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ, for which I'm in chains. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. You, you know, Paul was very dependent on prayer. He, he felt there was, as, long, as, as hard as he worked on sermons, they would have no impact unless people prayed for him. I feel that same way. I know the staff does. Jim Cimbala Pastor of the Brooklyn Tabernacle, you probably know his church through the Brooklyn Tabernacle Choir, a, a wonderful singing group. He wrote a book about his church. It was called Fresh Wind and Fresh Fire. This is a story of a church in the middle of the toughest section of Brooklyn. And in its early days, this church was going nowhere. Jim went away trying to decide whether he was going to just give up the church or what he should do. And he came back with a revelation from God. He stood up in front of his congregation and he said, from this day on, the prayer meeting will be the barometer of our church. 
What happens in prayer will be the gauge by which we will judge success or failure because that will be the measure by which God blesses us. You know, I, I, I believe that was a revelation. If you think about it and trace the decline of the church in this century. It can almost be absolutely correlated with the decline of the prayer meeting in the church. You know, we almost laugh at the old Wednesday night prayer meetings they used to have. We don't have those anymore. And look at the church. Jim Zembala tells us why prayer became a central focus in his experience, and he was like the rest of us. He had to reach a point where he was so desperate he had nowhere else to turn. For two and a half years, he went through a crisis with his 16-year-old daughter, Chrissy. She drew away, as many pastor's kids do, from the family, from God, and from the church. And he begged, and he scolded, and he warned, and he argued, and he tried to control her with threats and money. And finally, she moved out of her house and, or home and moved in with her boyfriend. For those months that she was gone, Jim's heart was broken, and he was helpless. And yet he and his church persistently prayed for Chrissy. <coughs> he was desperate. That was all he could do. And he never contacted her. Miraculously, one day, Chrissy came home. And he not, she not only came home, she came back to the Lord. She's now married to a pastor in the Midwest. But during that horrible time of waiting and being persistent in prayer, his wife, Carol, wrote this song that's been such a blessing to so many of us. You've heard it. In my moments of fear, through every pain, every tear, there's a God who's been faithful to me. When my strength was all gone, when my heart had no song, still in love, he's proved faithful to me. Every word he's promised is true. And what I thought was impossible, I've seen my God do. That's the phrase I want you to have engraved right into your heart today about prayer. What I thought was impossible, I see my God do. This pastor learned with certainty that God's promise is true. Call upon me in the day of trouble, and I'll answer you. You know, I don't often mention books in my preaching, but I want to tell you, if you're interested in prayer, and I hope you are, I hope you'll buy a book, Fresh Wind, Fresh Fire, Jim Zimbala. If you can order it at the tape window or call the church, we'll get it for you. Those, the elders who have read it, the people who have read it, it's, it, it's a life-changing book. You can't lay it down. Just a suggestion. You see, there's power beyond our wildest dreams in persistent prayer. The defeat, stress, worry, lack of joy in your life today could be traced to a lack of prayer. The ministry of our staff this year will be directly dependent upon your prayers for us. Menlo Press could be viewed from the outside as financially successful, numerically successful. We have technology. It looks like a going machine. Let me tell you, we're not going to go anywhere unless we as a church become prayer warriors supporting every aspect of our ministry. So I want to challenge you to persevere in your prayers, even today if God seems agonizingly slow. Remember what I said some time ago in a sermon on prayer? God might seem slow, but he's never late. Jesus said, if you ask God for an egg, he won't give you a scorpion. If you ask for a fish, he won't give you a snake. As we start another year, and soon another millennium, I am feeling absolutely called 
to challenge us to make prayer a primary agenda in the life of this church above everything else that we do. To make prayer part of every gathering, every class, every small group. To give priority to our prayer meetings as the most important happenings in the church. And then I call us to make prayer the first priority in our personal lives. And how do you do that? I would challenge you to make a time for prayer every morning. To pray for people God lays on your heart that day or whatever issues you have or decisions you have to make. Pray for the staff. Pray for God's direction for our church. Pray for your family, your marriage, your friends, your children. And, and then here's something that will only happen if God leads you, but I believe he's going to. I want you to get involved in some kind of prayer meeting. Maybe you can do it in your small group. Uh, come to the prayer meetings and, that we have before each worship service over in my office. There's a small group of, of, of us that meet. Join us in the library at 6.30 Thursday morning. I wouldn't miss that hour for anything. Uh, Monday morning we have groups. Uh, you might want to attend our Prayer 101 class. Bill was telling me this morning over 600 people have gone through Prayer 101. It's, it's starting again. You can learn how to pray. Perhaps maybe you'll want to start a prayer meeting at work or at school or with a friend over lunch. Can you imagine what would happen if you took your drive for prayer and put it throughout Silicon Valley so we had prayer cells all over this place? The potential is indescribable. I want prayer to become more than a formality that we do in worship, more than a parachute we use when all solutions have been exhausted. I want it, us to see that that's the primary thing we are called to do as Christians. And I need to tell you that responding and cultivating a prayer life will require discipline, and probably that's why it doesn't happen. We have to learn how to pray. Many of you don't come to a prayer meeting because you don't know how you're going to sound. You don't, you, you don't want to pray out loud. You don't know how to do it. But is there any skill in life that comes without work? How much time do you invest in perfecting your golf game or keeping physically fit or hitting those books to get your degree? Prayer requires work, discipline, and time. One place to begin, just set apart Starting tomorrow, a time in the day when you're going to pray. And then share with God whatever is on your heart. But here's how to keep it going. I suggest you start a journal the day you start setting a, a time apart for prayer. And Mark, just record the, requ the request you made. And then when God responds, put a date on it. I've told you that before. I looked over 98 in my prayer journal. And anytime I need encouragement, I read through what God has done this last year. I'm absolutely amazed. I don't even have to believe in prayer anymore. I know it's one of the greatest realities in the world. It's validated on my journal. To make prayer part of your life, you will bless this church you will bless those close to you. Your life will be changed. And you'll look back on making prayer a central focus in your life as probably one of the most strategic decisions you ever made. Now, that's a pretty big claim for a Sunday morning. I can just tell you this preacher's totally sold that what I just said is absolutely true. Why do I believe that? Because our God is faithful. The Bible is true. And over and over again we'll experience in our lives that what we thought was impossible for us 
we've seen our God do. Would you join with me in prayer? Lord, I'm so aware that even in my own life and thus in the lives of all of us, prayer won't become a reality unless your spirit moves. I pray that you will move in our hearts today. We'll cast our burdens on you. We'll take all those impossibilities and know because you're faithful, there's nothing impossible with you, our God, whom we call Father. Father. 